You have not yet purged 2.1, a Netrunner Reboot Project podcast. Episode 22, Run With The Best. Hey, this is Remy. The title card for this week's episode is The New Identity in Humanity's Shadow, the fifth data pack from the Genesis cycle, Andromeda, a criminal identity that has the basic ability of draw a nine-card starting hand instead of a five-card hand. And the flavor text for Andromeda is, I run with the best. And this is basically going to be, in a large sense, the Andromeda episode. The anonymous tip will be about Andromeda. The experiential data will be about an Andromeda deck. In the satellite uplink and matrix analyzer, Andromeda will be discussed. The AstroScript pilot program is also about Andromeda. So, let's go do that then. Anonymous tip, Andromeda. So one bit of information uh, that always comes up as a question, but was mentioned even in the release article for the data pack is, yes, you do draw a starting hand of nine, but if you decide to mulligan, do you still draw nine? The answer, yes, you do. That's one part of the reason why Andromeda is so good. The basic reason why Andromeda is so good, and I'm not going to go into a lot of math here, is that it's just good to draw nine cards. Think about it this way. When you draw your initial five-card hand in a typical deck, and if you're a runner and you have a 45-card deck, you have drawn one-ninth of your deck. That's 11%. If you then go on to mulligan, now you have drawn five cards twice, or you've seen 10 cards. I don't think the math is exactly right on this, but let's just say for simplicity's sake, you've seen 22% of your deck. I mean, the number is actually a little bit lower, but let's just go with that. 22% of your deck. So that's pretty good, right? You've seen a fifth of your deck. You've had a chance to look at a tenth of your, uh, a ninth of your deck, rather. Yeah, a ninth of your deck, twice. Well, so with Andromeda, you get to draw that nine-card hand right off the top. Nine out of 45, well, that's one-fifth, right? So you're seeing 20% of your deck, almost double your deck, when you draw your opening hand. And if you decide to mulligan, well, now you get to draw nine cards again. It's like you're getting to see 40% of your deck. Why does that matter? Well, the simple fact is that it's drawing you cards. Seeing more of your deck, you're more likely going to be able to see pieces that you want or pieces that you need that are going to make you effective. It leads to a very explosive 
and powerful first turn, you know, presuming your deck is built correctly. And that's why Andromeda is so good. It's because she's in the criminal faction where they are very good with events. So you draw a nine-card hand, and, you know, maybe it's laden with events. You go play four events, and you're in a good spot right off the top. Another way to think of it is, it's almost like you start by, on your first click, uh, on your zeroth click, really, you play a card that lets you draw four. Would that be good? Yeah, it would be really good. Diesel lets you draw three, except you also have to play it. So it's roughly the equivalent, and you've already drawn Diesel. So really, Diesel lets you gain two cards in its place. Andromeda lets you do four. It's like playing two Diesels to start your game, basically. And then you still have your whole full four-click first turn. She's real good. Experiential data. The Andromeda Strain. This is a deck list that was presented a couple weeks after the data pack came out, May 13th of 2013, where a player went to a regional tournament, a 31-player tournament. I don't see any real indication of where. I believe in the United States, but I don't, I don't know where this was held. And then went undefeated. So I'm going to present the deck, his comments, and a few questions and answers from that thread. If you want to read the entire thread, which runs four pages and derails in a couple different directions, uh, you're welcome to. I'll provide the link in the show notes. The poster's name is Eric Weissmantle. Here's what he says. Against my better judgment, I created this deck a few days before going to regionals. I wanted a deck that was enjoyable to play, and I was hoping the newness of this combo might give me a slight advantage over the traditional Gabe deck. The deck ended up surpassing all expectations and going undefeated. It is modified from some of the other Andromeda deck lists I saw, which combined Anarch Fixed Strength Breakers with Data Sucker. So here is the list. 17 events. I, uh, I'm normally seeing more like 1920, maybe more, but 17 is what are, is here. Two, Emergency Shutdown. Three, Forged Activation Orders. Three, Inside Job. Three, Sure Gamble. And two, Easy Mark. Also, two, Special Order. And two, Modded, imported from Shaper. For hardware, there are eight. Three, Dyson Memchip. Two, HQ Interface. Two, Doppelganger. And one, E3 Feedback Implants. For programs, uh, there are 12... Uh, two Corroder, coming from Anarch, one Crypsis, two Yog.0 from Anarch, two Mimic from Anarch, three Data Sucker from Anarch, and two Crescentus. Finally, there are eight resources, Cotty Jones, two of those, three Compromised Employee, and three Underworld Contact. Here are the comments on the deck. Basic Strategy. Due to Andromeda's ability, combined with modded, this deck is able to set up its breakers and data sucker very quickly. Once this combo is ready, the corpse ice suddenly becomes porous and incredibly cheap to run. With multiple data suckers, this deck is able to make two to three runs a turn and only needs minimal credits to break subroutines. 
If this deck can get a data sucker and doppelganger out, it will never need to pay to increase the strength of Crypsis or Corroder. I've seen substantial criticism of the drip economy of underworld contact, so I want to walk through my justification for including it. Due to the data suckers and Crescenta, this deck really needs the ability to get more MU. Dyson seems to be a perfect fit for two major reasons. First, the additional link sets up underworld contacts, while also synergizing with a compromised employee to make it very costly for the corp to get a trace through. Second, the three cost means that it can easily and efficiently be installed with modded on turn one. Once I saw the value of Dyson, Underworld Contact became a much more attractive addition. It could be set up as early as turn one to save me from having to use actions to take credits. The extra actions that I gained allowed for more running to get data sucker counters and more card drawing to accelerate the combo. I'll just mention as an aside that uh, Dyson Memchip is only two cost in Reboot, so even better. Possible changes. I included an E3 because I expected quite a lot of HB. If your local meta isn't HB heavy, this is an unnecessary card that can be replaced with a third easy mark. I would consider cutting the Crescentis and replacing them with more criminal events. I found the synergy between Data Sucker, Doppelganger, and Crescentus enticing, but I didn't find myself really needing to derez the corpse ice once I was able to run so cheaply. Feel free to ask for clarification on my deck building rationale or details about my playstyle. So here's the first question from user Dr. Tall Did you ever get into trouble with high strength code gate sentry and a virus counter purge to remove the data suckers? I'm always afraid of going all in on the non-boostable icebreakers for this reason. Uh, the response from Eric. In most of my games, I was able to get up and running before many high-strength ice were installed and rezzed. Once I had data suckers, expensive ice like Tollbooth and Archer could be passed relatively cheaply. This deck may face issues with an early oversighted Archer, Hadrian's, or Tollbooth if it doesn't have the proper breaker or hasn't been able to get its economy going. I had a few games where the corp took a turn to purge my data suckers, but I was always able to refill them very quickly. If the corp were to able to lock down the central servers and then purge my data suckers, that might slow this deck down considerably. But I think that will be a relatively rare case due to this deck's consistency and powerful early starts. Joshua Imobersteg, user Nunguns, said this, any issues with tag and bag decks, specifically something that hits you with two or three scorched earth at a time? Eric says, I didn't face any issues with these decks because I didn't even see any scorched earth in the decks I played against. A few games I floated some tags when I didn't have any resources, so I left myself open to a possible but highly unlikely tag and bag scenario. In these games, I was able to keep enough pressure on HQ to determine if there was a good chance the corp had sea source or scorched earth. I put the two decoys in at the last minute as a way to hopefully defend against a sea source, turn four tags, or tags that I can't afford to remove. An NBN tag and bag that's using breaking news is still possibly problematic. James Ryan, username WilliamJ35, says, My son, 10, has been trying to construct an Andy deck for regionals. This looks like it might be what he's been wanting to do. Three questions on the top of my head. 
1. Turn 1 priorities? What do you hope to pull off on the first turn? 2. Related, how do you know when to mulligan? 3. Any general pilot advice for this deck to a 10-year-old player? Eric responds, Generally on turn 1, I would want to be able to play 1 or 2 econ cards, Kati included, use modded to get a breaker or Dyson out, if I have underworld contacts, and either play a data sucker or have one in hand. Sometimes I will play an inside job on a card installed in a remote if I feel the corp is trying to sneak an agenda by on turn one, or I make a run on an open R&D. I'm still uncertain on exactly when to mulligan. If I don't have at least one econ card and one breaker, I usually mulligan. Sometimes if I have plenty of econ or data suckers with some econ, I would keep the hand. Data sucker is generally desired in an opening hand, because there's no way to tutor for it, unlike the breakers. It depends on how skilled your 10-year-old is at this game, and how much experience he has. I think one of the important things that he needs to know is how to play his first turn, and what to look for in the opening hand. I hope that what I covered above should help him start to learn this skill. Basically, he wants to get his econ going on turn one, and get as many breakers out as soon as he can. Once he has the correct breaker to get into HQ or R&D, he should keep the pressure on the corpse so they don't feel as comfortable trying to spend resources advancing agendas in remotes. I was usually able to find one or two agendas by harassing R&D if it wasn't too costly. It might be beneficial for him to include some expose so he can feel safer running remotes. Ben Hawks, user Banjo Thulu, asks, Why no account siphon? It's the best card in the game, in my opinion, and it's in faction. Eric responds, I generally agree that Account Siphon is an amazing card. I use it liberally in my Gabe deck, but I didn't think it had a place in this type of deck for two reasons. First, the resource-heavy Andromeda deck can't afford to float tags, so Siphon really loses some of the versatility it has with Gabe. It is still a great denial card, which gives six credits for three clicks, but it loses some of the tricks you can do and you don't have to spend the last two clicks removing tags. I didn't like how much it would constrain that turn. Second, this deck doesn't focus as much on denying the corp, so the denial aspect is weakened. Generally, in a Gabe denial deck, you have other tools to keep the corp poor and don't real solely rely on Siphon. This deck has a different purpose, and for that reason, some of the powerful criminal cards are left out. I may reconsider adding Siphon in the future if I find myself in situations where I'm not worrying about tags. And then there was a big discussion in the thread about Desperado versus Doppelganger, because this deck has Doppelganger, not Desperado. Alex Rockwell, a username AlexFrog, said, This thread repeatedly reinforces that many people have no idea how to evaluate Doppelganger. It's like they think that you can't make three or four runs a turn when you have a Desperado in play. You can. You get a counter on Data Sucker for each of those runs, too. It's just that after all that, instead of having plus one click left, you have plus X credits, where X is how many runs you made this turn. Given that people put so much effort into allowing them to take more than $1 for a click to get money, you would think they would jump on the chance to get like $3 from Desperado, but instead they want the one click from Doppelganger, so that they can use it to put $3 on Cotty Jones? I don't know. The only time that Doppelganger becomes better is when doing that fifth thing for the turn becomes critical. 
for example, playing in notoriety, or hammering them one more time with built-up mediums before they get a chance to recover or defend. Spags replied with this way, The fallacy here is that this deck is continually clicking for one cred per click. It's not. Besides the drip economy, it's using Cotty, Armitage, Liberated, Sure, Easy for money clicks. You can argue that cash is king, but in a deck reliant on lower strength for its cheap breakers, one cannot beat building up data suckers versus credits. This is especially true if there's more than one in play. And there's a lot of back and forth afterwards. You can go read that in the thread if you want. I will note that for Reboot, Desperado does not provide memory units. So though there is some memory included with Dyson Memchip, for Reboot, Doppelganger might be an even more obvious choice because it still has the extra memory. Satellite Uplink. Humanity's Shadow. The Runner Side. This fifth data pack for the Genesis cycle was released on May 2nd of 2013, almost exactly eight months after the core set came out. Here, in this pack, the runner has 11 cards, the corp only 9. That's the first time we see more runner cards in a pack. There are 4 for criminal, 3 for shaper, 2 for anarch, and 2 neutral, but only 5 have received an adjustment of some kind, whereas the corp, with their 9 cards, have 2 for each faction and 1 neutral, and 6 of those 9 have been adjusted. We do have a nerf, and it is the theme for this episode, the criminal identity Andromeda dispossessed Risty. She is a 4515 criminal identity. She has now zero link instead of one. So that might impact the deck list I just shared with you. It'll be a little harder to get that drip economy going since Andromeda doesn't come with a built-in link. Again, her ability says you draw a starting hand of nine cards, although shouldn't it say you draw a start your starting grip? Anyway, the artist here is Matt Zeilinger, former Maker's Eye Focus. Uh, we'll talk about the reasons for that nerf in a bit. There are four cards that are buffed in Criminal HQ Interface, a formerly four, now two cost hardware, two influence. Whenever you access cards from HQ, access one additional card. And also Pheromones has gone from two cost to one. It is a virus program. It's two for two influence. Our first virus outside of Anarch, other than Crypsis. It's our first criminal or shaper virus. Its ability is X recurring credits that you can use during runs on HQ, where X is equal to the number of virus counters on pheromones. You place a virus counter with a successful run on HQ. Shaper has Creeper, an Icebreaker, a Killer, a Two-Strength Killer, a Cloud Breaker, which means if you have two or more link, it, it takes up zero memory and also one influence. The change is instead of costing five, now it costs one. It is two credits to break a subroutine, one credit for plus one strength. We'll talk about that a little bit later too. The neutral card Kraken, an event that now costs one instead of three. If you steal an agenda, choose a server, if you have stolen an agenda, rather, 
and the corp will trash a piece of ice protecting that server. The art here from Liga Smilchkana. The unchanged cards are for Anarch, both of their cards. Surge, a zero-cost event, one influence. If you've placed at least one virus counter on a program this turn, place two virus counters on that program. And according to the flavor text, you must yell surge to get full effect, which I don't know if they intended it. I feel like that's got to be a reference to the, the early mid-90s surge soft drink. What was it? Coke's competitor to Mountain Dew. And as uh, a like green. And in, in the commercials, they would say, Surge! Anyway, I presume that that's, uh, that's where that's from. Xanadu, X-A-N-A-D-U, Xanadu, a three-cost resource, two influence. Uh, the res cost of all ice is increased by one. Criminal's fourth card, Networking, is not changed. A zero-cost event, one influence, remove one tag. And you may pay one credit to add networking to your grip instead of trashing it. So that's nice. It makes clearing a tag basically half price. And that's a repeatable thing. Shaper uh, has quality time, a three-cost event, one influence, draw five cards. So compare with uh, Diesel, which is a zero-cost event that draws you three cards. This gets you two more. Replicator, a two-cost hardware, two influence. Whenever you install a piece of hardware, go get another copy out of your deck. So like Rabbit Hole, but it doesn't install the card, just puts it in your hand. And the other neutral card, Cotty Jones, a two-cost resource. You cannot use Cotty Jones more than once per turn. Click, place three credits from the bank on Cotty Jones. Click, take all credits. And here again, we have Matt Zeilinger art. Remember, I've mentioned before the at-a-glance uh, review of all data packs on the Reddit thread. And for Humanity's Shadow, uh, that person whose name I have not retained at this moment, says for Criminal, Andromeda is a great card for Criminals. HQ interface is good. For Shapers, quality time is good. And potentially useful for any runner, quality time, or Cotty Jones. And it is Cotty Jones. I think I've mentioned that before, but... Uh, Damon Stone, the second lead designer, was very specific that this is named after a friend of his whose name is not Katie, but Kati. Matrix Analyzer. Let's take a look at the changes to the runner side of Humanity's Shadow. A little more detail. We'll get our comment from the big boy regarding the nerf. Andromeda is one of the best runner IDs, and her one link has always been a big part of why. Being able to more safely face-check into tracers made corp options for fighting off her early aggression very thin. Removing her link allows her to retain her style, but without this extra advantage. He also says the most affected cards are Caduceus and Shadow, which are now important tools versus Andy, and which previously were pretty impotent versus her. So that's the rationale behind removing the link and that being the way the nerf has been implemented. And uh, I just want to make a couple comments myself. The way I interpret this change too on a theoretical level, it's kind of like this. When the designers gave one link to an ID, I think it was a way for them to give a little boost to a card that seemed a touch weak compared to others. 
like Kate originally had a plus one link, what else could they have changed on Kate to make her a little stronger compared to um, Noise and Gabe in the corset? Well, they could have reduced the deck size to 40 instead of 45, or increased her ability so that she gave you a two-credit discount when you installed something. Those both seem a lot stronger. The consistency of a 40-card deck or always getting that extra. See, the link can can be strong against certain decks, but sometimes it's, it's literally nothing. Whereas that ability to take a credit off of every install is always going to be useful, especially for Kate. So both are both stronger. The giving the plus one link, which is sort of like an inconsistent recurring credit, is a way to do something without doing too much. So I feel like that's also part of what was in play with Andromeda. She must have seemed weaker than Gabe to the designer, so she got a link as her way to even her out a bit. Although, I mean, they could have said draw 10 cards instead of 9. I, mean, I haven't run the math. That seems to me like maybe that would be a smaller change than adding the link. But even in the release article, there's a line that says, what she lacks are credits. So maybe they thought that she'd be lower on money than Gabe because Gabe is always making money every turn. Or maybe that was just maybe that was just flavor tossed in there to justify their deck choice. Uh, but it's been discovered, I think, in general, that Andromeda is stronger than Gabe because getting your tools, you know, that extra digging into your deck is worth more than two credits. I mean, think about it this way. Quality time is a three-cost event that basically lets you draw four cards. So it's kind of like Andromeda starts with an extra three credits in a way. So that makes it easy to weaken her a bit by removing the link. And it does hit her in the credit pool, which makes her, it makes it a little bit cheaper, uh, a little bit less money for her. Again, against those tracers, instead of having her draw eight cards, which would have been, I think, maybe another route you could have could have nerfed her a little bit. For the buffs, HQ interface, I think I've briefly spoken about before. HQ interface and R&D interface, which comes in the next pack, are basically the same card. It's a four-cost piece of hardware that gives you extra access. And I think it's nicely flavored because HQ interface is the criminal card, R&D interface is the shaper card. Those are the servers they want to be going for. There is an archives interface for Anarch, but that doesn't come until way, way on down the road, the third... Yeah, the third deluxe expansion. Uh, but it is kind of crazy that originally HQ and R&D interface cost the same. I may just start calling it HQI. It seems easier to say. Since it suggests that they're of equal utility. And that's just not the case. Multi-access for R&D is just more valuable than multi-access in HQ. I'm not saying there's no value in having multi-access in HQ. I just, I mean, it's just better in uh, R&D because the Corp hasn't seen those cards yet either. And four credits for an install, that is a lot of money, what you might call a tempo hit. And hardware, generally seen by people as being not all that useful in the game, even in the FFG version of the card pool that Reboot uses up through the fourth deluxe expansion, uh, it's still only 12 cards have 12 pieces of hardware cost four credits or more, including HQ, HQ interface. Whereas with Reboot, hardware is less expensive across the board so that it's more useful. That's been the major 
change that has been made to the point where in the reboot card pool, there are not 12 cards, 12 pieces of hardware that cost four or more. There are only five. Mostly they're consoles. The toolbox is seven. Security Nexus is eight. Blaggard is nine. Monolith is 12. And R&D interface is four. So dropping that two cost on HQ interface seems like a good move. Now, this next observation doesn't strictly fit into this segment, but I want to talk about Replicator, which was not adjusted, and what you might use it for. Inside Man came in the previous pack, which lets you have recurring credits for installing hardware. And so, could you pair Replicator with Inside Man? If so, why? Well, maybe you're digging out another HQ interface, or Plascrete Carapace, I guess, or Dyson Memchip, mentioned in the experiential data segment. R&D interfaces coming up in the next pack. I like that one in multiples, but still, does that make sense to do this little combo? Well, let's run through the math. You install Inside Man for one credit. Use the two credits on that. It gives you two recurring credits for installing hardware. So then you use the two credits to install Replicator for free. And then on your next turn, let's say you install, use the recurring credits on Inside Man to install HQ Interface or Dyson Memchip for free because they both cost two now. Or Plyoscrete Carapace, which will cost you, uh, it's three now, three, so it's going to cost you one actual credit. And then you get to dig out another copy and install that for free with Inside Man on your next turn, right? So you follow this? Let me run that through that again. Inside Man installs Replicator for free. Re Re Inside Man installs, say, HQ Interface for free. Replicator pulls the next HQ Interface out of the deck. Inside Man installs HQ the next HQ Interface for free also. And then if you have a third one, Replicator pulls that one out too. The math on that then is you draw and install Inside Man. That's two clicks and a credit. You draw and install HQ Interface. That's two clicks, though zero credits. And then you don't need to draw, draw, but you install a second HQ interface as one click and zero credits. So your total costs in clicks and credits to install your inside man and two HQ interface is four clicks, one credit across three turns. And now you have two HQ interface. You access three cards each time you go into HQ and it's cost you a total of I'm sorry, I said it's a reduction in cost of four clicks and one credit. It's a total cost of five clicks and a credit instead of four clicks and four credits. It's clearly a savings, a savings of 25%, right? Six things spent instead of eight things spent. And if you don't consider to draw a part of the cost, because you're always going to be drawing cards, and that's a perfectly reasonable way to evaluate things, then the cost reduction is from two clicks and four credits for the two installs, and to three clicks and one credit. So six things to four things, a 33% reduction. The point being, if you didn't follow all that math, I'm sorry, that probably was not conveyed very clearly. The point being that it is a savings in time and, well, money. It's a savings in resources to use this combo of inside man and replicator. But it is a little bit on the combo-y side, right? Because 
rather than just installing your two HQ interfaces or your two Dyson MEM chips. You've got to get the inside man first. Though if you're wanting more than just one piece of hardware, if you're wanting two HQ interfaces and two Dyson MEM chips, well, maybe it is more useful. And again, I think it's even more useful if it's R&D interface. But if I remember, I'll talk about that in another episode. And one other aspect of this, and it's not nothing, is even if you don't need that second piece of hardware that Replicator goes and gets for you, just pulling it out of your deck is kind of fairly useful. I mean, it's like getting a free click to draw. And even for consoles, that can be effective because it, you don't need that extra copy anymore. So you just get it out of there. And that thins your deck slightly. And if there's one mandate of a constructed deck card game, it's the thinner your deck, the more effective it is. Data sucker. New icebreaker and economy options. Who boy, but people love Cotty Jones. But I'm going to talk about Creeper first. In short, Creeper is not generally good. And there's a clear and simple reason for this. Two credits to break one subroutine. That is the same deadly flaw that the criminal decoder Peacock has. Look at the 15 centuries we have so far. I haven't evaluated this pack. The 15 centuries prior to this pack. Eight of them or nine, if you include woodcutter, have two or more subs. For code gates, of the 11 code gates, only four have two or more subs. So it's more than half of the centuries, but only about 40% of the code gates. And some of the centuries that do are Rototurret, Shadow, Caduceus, Ichi, Archer. These are all good cards. Now, there are some saving graces for Creeper. For one thing, its strength is two. So that actually helps it quite a bit on mid-strength sentries that cost three or four. It's just one more than Garot for most of those three or four cost sentries, and about the same as Ninja for things that cost up to strength three. Though, if you recall, Ninja is just bad at those levels and probably is better paired with a, se a separate killer like Mimic for the low-strength stuff. But if you're just strictly comparing Ninja to Creeper, I mean, in some ways, Creeper is better against, again, the low-strength stuff. So that strength two is not nothing. It's also a cloud breaker. So that means its MU cost can be nothing. And presumably, if you're using Creeper, you're making it so that's true. You're having enough length that maybe you're using Creeper and Zool with some other stuff so that there's no MU cost. And now the install cost has been dropped from a kind of ridiculous five. I mean, yes, shapers are supposed to be less good at killers, but come on. To one, and that's not nothing. Ninja costs uh, three? Four. Yeah, four. And this is one. I mean, four is a hit. And against, again, the early game where Ninja and Creeper are pretty similar, hey, maybe Creeper is a better move. It's only costing you one. It's not good, but maybe uh, it's not as bad since it's so much cheaper now. Now, Cotty Jones. Let me take this comment from NetrunnerDB uh, from user Tie-Dyed Vortex, who has a high rating, which I guess means he has lots of comments to make about stuff. Maybe lots of decks. I'm not sure where those ratings come from. Anyway, he says, Cotty Jones is probably one of the most overrated cards in Netrunner. Now, hold on. Overrated doesn't mean bad. 
But I think people put Kati in decks where she doesn't always belong or overestimate her value. I'm here to set the record straight. Consider this. The value of an economy card is the number of credits it gives you above simply clicking for credits. A sure gamble lets you spend click to get four credits, which is three credits more than you would have earned on the basic click for credit action. So that means the act of drawing a sure gamble has an effective value of three. Let's apply the same principle to Armitage code busting. Now I'm going to change the math here so it reflects the reboot version. It takes nine clicks to install and clear off the Armitage, and doing so gives you a net return of 15 credits. That's six credits more than the nine you could have earned by clicking for credits, meaning that Armitage code busting has a total value of six credits. Now, what if instead of Armitage, you had Cotty Jones? Installing Cotty, clicking her up to 15 credits, right? It takes five clicks, five turns. And then taking them takes a total of seven clicks. That gives you a net return of 13 credits for a total value of six credits. And then she's still around afterwards to keep giving you more. Pretty good, right? Maybe. But there are limitations. For one thing, Cotty Jones is unique. Drawing a second Armitage code busting means you get that plus six credit economy boost all over again. Drawing a second or third Cotty Jones means you've mostly wasted your time, unless you can feed her to Faust or soak up damage from Stimhack or something. For another, the timing of when you actually get money is different. With Armitage, you break even after installing and clicking it twice. You spent three and gained three. You can easily do this in one turn, making the tempo hit effectively zero. With Kati, though, the fastest you can break even would be install, click to three, click to six, and take, which means you aren't actually making money until three or four turns after installing. The point I'm trying to make is that Kati simply cannot be the primary economy engine for every deck. Because it takes her so long to pay out, you need a different source of economy to let you install your icebreakers. Because you need to click her every turn, you need a deck that can afford to be patient, one focused on single, significant runs rather than steady, consistent pressure. Because she puts dead draws into your deck, you need a deck that will keep the game going long enough for her to pull her weight. And because she can get sniped out by tagging, you need a deck that can function without her. He then says that two runners who can really make Cotty work here are two that we don't have currently, Leela Patel and Ian Sterling. Their runner IDs each have a built-in deterrent for the corp scoring, forcing the corp to play slower and set up more carefully, which in turn lets the runner build up to an explosive late game. But shapers, who want to build to an inevitable late game, can probably get more value out of magnum opus. And most anarchs and other criminals are strongest with the kind of early aggression that Kati makes difficult. Big guy for you, 518, responded, This was a much-needed review. Thank you. I think the broad appeal for Kati comes from the fact that she's essentially the only influence-free permanent economy upgrade that doesn't require other moving parts, like Underworld Contact. Thrown in as a one-of to supplement an otherwise very burst-heavy econ suite, I think she's usually worth the deck slot. 
And then we have another review from, oh no, I didn't take the name of this person from the, the, from the site. Hold on. So it's a review from Day to Dave, which actually was uh, posted about a year earlier than the previous one. And here he examines a little more detail, the math. Cotty Jones provides a huge payoff for delaying gratification. She is ideal in a deck where your runs have some ability to fund or refund themselves using cards like Desperado and a couple others we don't have. The worst thing you can do is take credits from her every other turn, trying to recover from zero. Don't be afraid to click for credits the normal way while she charges up. When you finally take off her for X turns, you get, for one turn, 1.5 credits per click. For two turns, two credits per click. After three, 2.25 credits per click. For four, it's 2.4 credits per click. For five, it's 2.5 credits per click. For six, it's 2.57 credits per click. For seven, it's 2.62 credits per click. You'll notice two things. First, if you charge her for two turns, taking credits on the third, she is equal to magnum opus. This should be your baseline when deciding whether it's worth it to take the credits you need the old-fashioned way or off-caddy. Second, after the sixth turn, you get rapidly diminishing returns. Holding off until turn eight won't help you that much more than turn nine. Many of the cards discussed in this week's episode are linked in the show notes. The music is from Alexi Action, the website, which just still redirects to the Reboot Project homepage at this point. Just haven't had time to put a website together. Netrunner2.1.com. Uh, to play games, go to the retechie.fun version of GinTechie, the server. But to look for games, go to the Reboot Discord server. Feel free to send me contact. Reach out to me on any of the messages, platforms, whatever, linked in the show notes. And the AstroScript pilot program this time is not the Worlds of Android book at all, but the flavor insert from, from the data pack about, yes, the subject of this week's episode, Andromeda. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Andromeda. She ran her hands over the soft linen, smoothing out any wrinkles and making sure it hugged her figure just right as she emerged from the hallway. Before, she could hear the low thrum of the music. Now, inside the damper field, she could feel as well as hear its overpowering, deafening bass. The speakeasy was a collage of strobing lights and glitzy revelers, filled with the sort of enervating energy that speaks of an obsession with ennui. Three glasses of brightly colored fizz drinks were offered to her in quick succession as she navigated her way toward the center of the room. She ignored them all, even a silo red, her favorite. Plenty of time for that later. Andy, over here! Elizabeth's son waved a hand in her direction. She was flanked by a pretty Hispanic girl and a dapper, young, pale-skinned man, neither of whom Andy had ever seen before. 
It's been so long. Where have you been, dear? Elizabeth cleared her throat and introduced her companions. Andy instantly forgot the Latina's name, but the man's was memorable. Jeremiah Levy. Levy, Levy, a Levy cousin, perhaps? A snatch of her afternoon feed popped into her head. Large private donation to the university is its biggest in history. Levy had a perfectly slicked full head of pecan hair and was wearing a button-down jacket and crimson tie. A surreptitious scan with her pad showed there was nothing easily jackable on him. She would need direct access. With a start, she realized he was studying her as well. Their eyes locked, and he turned away, blushing. Still just a kid, she thought. The chat was dominated by Elizabeth, as usual. Andy found herself only half-listening to the latest gossip and cutting remarks being shouted out above the pounding music. She cast sidelong glances at Andy whenever she could. Finally, another group approached theirs, and Andy took the opportunity to draw Jeremiah aside. His eyes were wide. He tried to tell her something, but it was too soft and lost in the noise. She laughed anyway and leaned in close. You want to have some fun? She shouted into his ear. He glanced around nervously and then shouted back, What sort of fun? Why don't you find out? She slipped her hand into his shirt, then drew him after her with his tie. He followed like a puppy. So easy. She brought him into the private booth and slowly reached into her dress, pulling out a small e-card. Give me your pad. Well, she leaned in and kissed him, softly. He handed her the pad and thrust forward for another kiss. She placed her finger on his lips as she drew back. Not yet. She scanned the card with his pad, and it flickered with a blue glow. In a matter of seconds, she had loaded a scene and jacked its vitals. Now she could gain remote control of the device from Mars if she had to. She flipped the device back to him. He almost dropped it. Do you have a plug? Levy ran his hands through his hair. Maybe I do, and maybe it's a cyber soul. She cooed in mock admiration, and he grinned with pride. What would I scape? Only one way to find out. She left him in the booth, sprawled on the purple upholstery, eyes half-closed, lost in a fantasy. With access to a levy, it wouldn't be long until she could check out that new donation. A good night already, and the night was still young. She snagged a blood-red drink from the tray of a passing Eve, caught the eye of a well-dressed wristy, and with a coy laugh, disappeared into the crowd.